Capture podcast surveys the creative, socio-cultural and political concerns of local and international artists and designers. The podcast series is a collaboration between RMIT and the National Gallery of Victoria. My name is Alice Huishen Zhang, and um, I'm a vocalist working with many texture and sound that sits outside of language, um, sits outside of melody. I do work with a lot of breathing and tension to create manipulations of my physical vocal cords and vocal boxes. So I work with uh, quite a lot of holding my diaphragm and also um, producing air through quite tight, squeezed channels of uh, controlling uh, the, the way the breath moves around the body and moves through um, different directions outwards as well. When I enter performance mode, I I'm very much in my body and and letting uh, a lot of intuition and letting a lot of uh, subconscious or unconscious uh, to work on itself rather than having uh, the brain analyzing everything and and often the brain also. Um, the brain works a lot with habits of performers and and so often in performers I try to work against that. So if the brain come up with something that felt really natural to do at that moment, I would then shift to a different voice or shift to a different physical um, preparation to, to sound and to create a constant surprise for myself and not to sit in my comfort zone. I much prefer performing with audience and performing with other human body presence. Um, that gives me a lot of range of creating uh, communication as well as intimacies. And I work with that spatially as well with um, what the performance space is used for socially, uh, such as perhaps performing in alternative spaces. Um, and that brings layers of history and social function into the present moment of where everyone's gathering. This experience of um, performing on the river was pretty... Um, it still stayed with me for quite a long time. And we, as audience groups, everyone um, participated in vocalising as well in these events. 
So each audience member were given a voice to sound and to improvise, but a very simple, repetitive、uh, voice that they then adding their own、uh, modification and expressions to、um, the responses with other people, and we all row out on a boat to. The Yarra, along、um, Fairfield Park, and、um, the bellbirds there、uh, are pretty famous too. So the bellbirds are very responsive to us as well. This unstableness of being on a boat and calling and responding across the banks of the river, but. Uh, as a bunch of human being, and not、um, just simply connecting, and not uh, asking uh, for more uh, logic or more、um, <laughs> explanation of what the situation is, but everyone kind of takes on a very bodily and experiential. Uh, relationship with each other, rather than intellectually. Um, I often, when I perform,、um, I often have some responses from the audience that they, after the performance, they also have a sore throat or they also feel this.、Uh, Tightness in their body sometimes, and I think, you know, as as human being, we are very responsive to other people's voice. So we often, almost, it really switch on the mirror neuron in ourselves. So when an audience sit there listening to a vocal performance, quite often I have feedback of they also switch on. Their physical body to almost、uh, in an attempt to mimic and to、uh, imitate this situation in my body. So by myself pushing the voice, and and for me, voice is very linked to identity and and who we are、um, as individual. So by having myself pushing. The limitation of this, of the limitation of、um, how I can present myself or how I can perform myself in front of other people.、Um, other people, by just receiving, they're also pushing themselves physically, breaking this normal code of social、uh, language. Alice currently lives in Taiwan, where, alongside her husband Nigel Brown, are expanding the potential of experimental music. But the sounds that you're hearing now are from Team Lab, so we're going to hear from Toshiyuki Yonoko, 
speaking at NGV's Extra Program Lectures, where he touches on the idea of the amazing visual vortices that they created, which react to bodily movements. Our interest is not the technology itself, but instead we are trying to use technology as a tool and trying to explore the concept of digital technology and how it can enhance art and our society. Most of the technologies, like Silicon Valley-oriented technology, I believe is an extension of someone's mind. Facebook, Twitter, those digital domains is the self as a principle. TeamLab aims to really explore a new relationship between human and the world through digital art use. So when we look at the world through intellectual lens, so many problems are overwhelming. And I think as an artist, uh, what is more important, at least for, to, to us, uh, Team Love, is to seek out and affirm an idealistic part of humanity and present an idea of the future. I'm not talking about a simple fiction of manga or video games, but rather it's an ideal, fictitious world that may be realized somewhere. There are so many problems that cannot be solved at this very moment, but what we can do at Team Love is to suggest that we may be able to create an ideal world once more by connecting the hints that can be found in the long history of humanity. We just find it more important to create the world than to criticize the world. It's a type of interactivity we pursue. It's not intentional play, but rather whether or not you intend to do or not, it's uh -huh. the type of interactivity we pursue is that your presence transforms the work. It's just by moving into the right. room that causes some artworks to change. Mm -hmm. you know, if you find a change caused by someone in the room, uh, which causes beautiful uh, scenery, then the, the very presence of that person in the room is also a very positive one. The type of artwork we have seen so far in traditional setup is really a one-to-one -one, uh, interaction, a viewer versus the artwork. And often, the other viewer's presence may become obstruction from time to time. But contrary to that, our work actually really requires other people's presence in the artwork because they are contributing to creating the part of the scene which makes beautiful. Every one of them are beautiful presence. In, uh, in our work to this time, uh, when a person moves inside the artwork, a force is applied in that direction. As a result, a flow occurs. When a fast flow occurs, a, a rotation phenomenon is produced due to the difference in the flow velocity around it creating a vortex. When nobody's there, nothing will happen, it, it is totally black, because the images you see on the floor are, the, are drawn tracking the traces of water particles created by people's presence, or in fact, people's directional movement. And those particles are traced in line, and you see the visual uh, waves, and when that activity stops, then floor becomes totally black.
because there will be no uh, traces of uh, particle lines. Leading on from TeamLab's discussion on the virtual body, we now have Dr. Lauren Bliss, who spoke at NGV's extra programs, Technology and Subjectivity. Here she considers the conflicts and the benefits of online identities. Stick around. I'm known as Dr. Lauren Bliss, although I still feel sort of slightly weird about being called Dr. Bliss, although I do like it at the same time. I'm an academic Um, My research is in film, but I also teach in media. And most of my research is around body image and perception, perspective and film theory, especially feminist film theory and psychoanalytic film theory, which is like a very strong tradition in film studies. When I was doing my PhD at Melbourne, I felt like I had sort of deficient education in philosophy. I knew so much about film theory, but not so much the traditions that informed it, especially the philosophical ones. And there are a lot of reading groups that run out of Melbourne Uni. They're not a part of the university, but they're run by academics and students there. And they read all kinds of continental philosophers, so Hegel, Kant, they read Lacan, Foucault, you know, the, the big, all the dead white guys, basically, and occasionally there's a woman. With Cartesian dualism, um, I mean, the, the point there is that there's a separation between the mind and the body, um, and you never really know your body, you only know yourself through thinking, you know, I think, therefore I am. So there's that, there's that distinction that's Descartes' point. What's interesting about Descartes is that the fact that he's separated them. I think especially today where we have so much of our social political and especially medical discourse is about knowing your body. I think there's something to Descartes that's quite interesting, which is more psychological rather than physical. Of course, it's problematic as well. I mean, that's a great thing about philosophy. It's just arguments. You can disagree with it. Most of my research and writing has been about just around the idea of body image. You only see your body through images, in a sense, or through your imagination, through your psychological life. You can never see a full objective picture of your own body that is total. It's always fragmented. It's never one, right? And that, that, that's some, that point or that idea, I think, is lacking in a lot of body image discourse. You know, say, yes, of course, the media or film never represents us accurately, but then it can never do that. I just finished reading that book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed by John Ronson. Primarily the books about people who made really stupid mistakes online um, and posted sometimes um, offensive things or even racist things. Um, And in one case of Justine Seiko, I think she was trying to be reflexive, but just failed, like it's a terrible joke. Um, You can look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. But, you know, she posted it to like 100 people on Twitter and it went viral and destroyed her whole life, basically. There's lots of cases of that happening where you think you're engaging with something, but actually you're engaging with the whole world. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff that gets said about 
Facebook and not so much Twitter. Definitely Facebook and Weibo, the Chinese equivalent, require you to have your real name. And the reason for that is for marketing purposes and also obviously in China it's for political purposes. It's to ensure citizens can be watched over by the government. For those reasons, I think there is a lot of value in being able to be anonymous online just because you can you can be more playful. And just like what you were saying before, can the virtual self become real? Thinking about it in terms of, say, capitalism or the market, if I'm able to have all these different identities online, I can't really be tracked so easily. My data can't be extracted. I can look at different things at different times and I won't get an email inbox bombarded with often quite effective marketing campaigns or whatever. But not just with that, I think just in terms of like, I don't know, sometimes there's something about anonymity and being able to be someone else that enables you to, I don't know, maybe take a bit of distance from yourself and be a bit more playful in the world, I think. And it's just a kind of, it's a half thought. I don't know that I have anything really intelligent behind it other than my own like life. I just remember being a teenager and going online and being other people and having fun with it. When I grew up, it was like the days of Yahoo Chat and MSN Messenger. So there wasn't Facebook or MySpace even, if you can believe it. It was just like Yahoo Chat. And you know, I bloody loved it. Like I had all these avatars and identities and I'd go on and just, you know, you just chat with all these weirdos and have bizarre conversations sometimes. But it was just, there's something that feels very vital about the fact that I did that. I, I, I don't know that I can quite articulate, but I mean, I think what I said before about the idea that you can never have a total view of your own body, that it is always fragmented in some way, shape or form. But that is not necessarily, or that's not a, a bad thing. It, it means that there's always a space for the virtual or for fiction or for playfulness, I guess. So yeah, no, nothing can ever completely sort of objectify you or contain you. You know, you can always see yourself from another perspective. Capture Podcast was produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. The team would like to thank all our contributors and you for listening. Be with you next week.